I'm Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, and this is Sam Says, a podcast series focused on Illinois Medicaid managed care. Hello, I'm DeRondo Beverly with the Gemini Group, and welcome to Sam Says. On today's episode, we sit down with Dr. Anita Stewart, Chief Medical Officer for the Medicaid line of business for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois. But before we do that, let me first welcome our host, the Sam in Sam Says, Samantha Oldsfry, CEO of I'm Hip. Sam, how are you today? I'm great. I'm so excited for this conversation with Dr. Stewart. Um, my, I love always speaking with the clinicians at Health Plans. It's really one of my favorite things. Yeah, I think it, uh, it should be a great uh, conversation today. So let's jump into it and let's welcome our very special guest. Again, we have Dr. Anita Stewart, the Chief Medical Officer for the Medicaid line of business at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois. Dr. Stewart, welcome to Sam Says. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you being here. And uh, before we dive into the conversation between you and Sam, can you just give us a sense of a little bit about your background and what you do? I am a pediatrician by training, and I've been a physician for over 25 years, and I've done a variety of different things within the rubric of medicine. I currently function as the chief medical officer, and in that, I have responsibility, which is to oversee several quality aspects of the Medicaid line of business. Wonderful, um, Dr. Sewer, and I know um, through our work together over the past years of, of sort of your passion and, and your experience that you bring to your role, um, but can you dive in a little bit further in terms of your background and sort of the, um, you know, the experience, the insight that you bring um, and, and sort of why you've transitioned to that administrative healthcare role that you now are in? Sure. I started practicing pediatrics and I practice in virtually every setting you can think of. I was a professor, associate professor at the University of Chicago, assistant professor at University of Illinois. I've done private practice, you name it, I practice in that area of medicine. And I saw that there was a need to impact a greater number of people. My master's is in public health, and I can treat one patient at a time, but by policies and procedures, I can impact a greater number. And so that's what I moved to. I said, I need to do things that will improve outcomes on a broader scale. And tapped into that is why I also went to law school. I needed to know what kind of policies, what were some of the barriers, and how I could wheel and deal in in various situations. And some of the skills that I've learned from every school that I've gone to have become very important in my current administrative role. Absolutely. So I love, so you've got a master's in public health, you are an MD, and you have a JD. That is correct. So you have just this this wealth of knowledge and the ability to pull from so many perspectives, whether it be sort of that academic um, learning, but then also just your own personal experience and and all of those years in practice, you get to bring all of that to Blue Cross Blue Shield and to help shape the policies that are impacting 
you know, hundreds of thousands of Illinois Medicaid members and really try to sort of shift um, healthcare, shift how we talk about healthcare, um, especially for the Medicaid population, um, talk more about outcomes. Um, what do you find sort of would be most surprising to folks about some of the work that you do? Um, and, you know, what makes you most passionate, you know, and is most fulfilling? I think the thing that is most fulfilling for me is to encourage others to see the flip side of the coin, to understand that your perspective may not be the only one, and also that all people aren't situated similarly. Just to consider that in decisions that you make. For instance, we expect patients to take their medication on time, but if you don't have transportation, you may not get to the pharmacy. Or if you have to make the call between, um, say, going to the um, pharmacy and getting something to eat, you may take the one bus fare money that you have and go and get food. So all of these trade-offs, these negotiations that folks are doing to survive is very important to me. And it does not always boil down into true non-compliance. I love that. And, and it's really about acknowledging the social determinants of health, the challenges of humanity, um, and, and the, they're just the, like you said, the recognition that not everybody is similarly situated. Uh, and, and that, you know, a lot of times sort of the idea of sort of non-adherence is there are other priorities or other challenges that people are, are juggling. And they're, everyone, I think, by and large is trying to do the best that they can, um, but without all of the same tools or privileges or, um, you know, I think privilege often. Agreed. And there's another factor that we haven't even spoke about, which in many cases um, is very important with any physician, patient, or healthcare provider relationship, which is trust. It's very difficult to sit here at 300 East Randolph and assume because something is available, someone will take it. But by the same token, if I go into a community where people live, eat, work, play, and ask someone else to deliver my message, there is a greater chance that that message will be accepted because there's trust. And that is the greatest thing any physician-patient relationship can have is trust. Not that I agree with you, but I can say, doc, this is not gonna work for me because thus and so. And then it's for me to come up with some suggestions as to how we still might work together for a better outcome. Oh, I love that Dr. Stewart, because I often think of, you know, we think I think of the most basic piece of trust, which is if I trust my doctor, I'm gonna listen to them. But there's that second piece of, if I trust my doctor, I'm gonna have an open, honest conversation with them. And I'm going to outline the barriers that I have um, in, in in following whatever that protocol may be, or um, you know, talking about perhaps a mental health struggle, or um, you know, whatever else may be going on. If there's not that trust, that that doctor, that clinician is only going to hear a very small piece of the story and, and isn't going to be able to 
to appropriately treat that patient because they're not going to have the full picture. With all of your years of experience and being able to practice in so many um, roles, can you talk a little bit about how you built trust when you were in practice? And then um, and then I'll take it a step further, sort of how you use that experience now in your administrative role. It is something that I think as you have to learn over the years, you don't get this training in medical school. Um, and when you go to talk with the patient, the moment you go into the exam room starts the beginning of your test, not the patient, but your test. From the standpoint of how you come into the room, how close you meet the patient, how you look into their eyes, how you greet them, how you ask them to be called. These are all important things that a physician has to establish. Um, and once you've done that, you need to also tell them how you view their healthcare, how you view medicine. But please remember, this also has to be done in a language that the folks understand. How I might talk to one patient will be completely different than how I might talk to another. The other things, you have to watch body language. Some people you can see need support and do appreciate you coming closer and the hand on the shoulder. Others may not appreciate that, but that's what you gather over time. And you also let them know that it's not any such thing as a dumb question or a bad question, and you encourage them to ask questions, whether they write it down or um, they actually give it to you in the exam room. And here's another important point. When you are with friends or people that you know, you typically ask about their family. You have to ask, how is your son, John, your daughter, Kelly, etc. This lets them know that you actually care who graduated from school. And even if you, you know, know that someone is in school and they've graduated, you give that congratulations. One of the things I always notice is I could count my successes by the number of baby pictures that I got and graduation pictures, etc. So this is how you know that you are meeting your patients where they're at. Oh, I love it, Dr. Stewart. Um, and I feel like that's going to be the common refrain throughout this whole conversation because I'm thinking as a patient, I'm obviously, I'm, I'm not a clinician. Um, I just adore talking to them. Um, but as a patient, I'm thinking of the doctors I have the strongest relationships with. And they always ask about my son, Lincoln. They always, you know, ask about my family, ask how I'm doing, um, you know, th there is that sort of just human interaction at the beginning and it, it almost changes the conversation from one that feels really clinical and you're a little anxious and you're hoping that your, you know, your blood test came back normal or whatever to a conversation more like you and I are having today, which is just one that is enjoyable, um, and feels as though we can relate as humans. And I, I never thought about that's those are the clinicians I have the stronger relationship with, but it is. It's those that ask how I'm doing, ask about my family, um, start with me as a person, and then move to me as a patient, I think. Correct. Exactly. 
And now, now your role is different um, because you're not sitting, you know, you're not meeting people in an exam room. How do you bring that, that knowledge, that wealth of experience um, to your role at Blue Cross and, and the importance of trust and of um, relating to patients? Well, I think some pointers still apply. When you're in a large group situation, you have to ensure that what you say is correct and truthful. You have to make sure your uh, credibility is very high because what you want to do is establish a relationship with that person who asked you for information. You want to double back and make sure that the information was helpful. Um, you also want to make sure that the way in which you give such information um, does not in any way impact their own sense of self-esteem. And by that example, uh, I would like to tell you about in a large meeting, what you want to do is if you see something is incorrect, you might want to paraphrase again as a question. Well, do can it be this or that so that the person gets an inkling of what's going on? Or if it's outside of the meeting, then you can approach the person one-on-one. -on -one. But you never want to impact their sense of confidence. Um, you want to build your trust with them and credibility and become a trusted partner with them, especially in a large organization when you need to break down silos. And you also need to have stock in other areas of the company such that when you need help, it's easy to reach out and expect the same kind of treatment. Oh, that is so applicable and so critical because I think the more that we spend time sort of building up our teams, that we strengthen those relationships, the more that we will be able to collectively accomplish. And if you approach that of like, maybe somebody misspoke, maybe somebody sort of misunderstood something rather than, you know, sort of calling them out in a, you know, an aggressive manner that's going to make them feel uncomfortable, question their own confidence, um, you know, doing it in a manner that gives them either the ability to, to, to double back and double check or just sort of waver and say, oh, well, let me check in on that. Um, it, it gives them you know, it, it sort of is going to be a more positive experience. Um, and, you know, they're going to begin to develop that trust with you in that positive relationship, as opposed to, you know, if you just sort of call it out directly um, and, and don't assume the best of intent, which is probably that they're misspeaking or that they've mis, you know, understood or, or maybe said it backwards, um, you know, they're, they're going to feel much differently. And the importance of relationships, especially in large organizations, because the truth is, is that none of us do it alone, right? Like even with the right. best of experience, it's a, it's a team. And the better that your team works together, the stronger, the, the more communicative they are, the more successful you're going to be. And the other thing that I didn't mention is really one of customer service. Because if you ask me a question, and you need information, it's the speed with which I get back to you that I make sure that I have met all your needs that also increases my credibility. So I always try to make sure that any email you send to me requesting information is answered 
in no more than one business day. Um, and the other thing is, if it's not clear, I'll always phone you and say, was my email clear? Do you need anything else? So that's what I strive for. Oh, I love that, Dr. Stewart. And my last question is, so we've talked a lot about how you work internally, how you worked in practice, and how do you, because I think you talked about this a little bit of the importance of building strong relationships with those in the community, community-based organizations, because they are going to really be, or our community physicians, they're going to be the messenger for Blue Cross, um, oftentimes in building that trust, simply because um, you're at as you said, 300 East Randolph, and that, you know, is often not where your members are. Um, how do you, do you build that relationship with those community um, organizations, those community leaders? You have to step out of 300 East Randolph and actually go to those community organizations. And I worked a lot with, uh, if it's a provider organization that we have a relationship with, I will have our folks called out and ask if I can come and visit. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is that I never give up my networks to physicians and what they're doing. So I try to make sure that I always mentor folks, which is another way, and they don't have to be physicians. They could be nurses. They could be, you name it, because the kind of information you give as a mentor is one of, don't forget, and every person, there is a light shining. Don't worry about it. That light won't go out. Just, you know, renew your confidence. So I mentor a lot of folks like that who are now in this program, that program, run this agency, etc. And that's basically how I do it. Going out into the community, keeping my network of medical students, physicians and community organizations by actually going out there to visit and to talk with over the phone. Right. You okay. can't gain trust if you're not there. That's a great, great point and a, and a fantastic point to end the segment on. I feel like you guys could have continued uh, for many hours, continuing to unwrap some of these topics. Uh, Dr. Stewart, uh, we'd like to thank you for being with us today on Sam Says. And we would love if you'd come back and speak to us again in the future. I mean, clearly you and Sam have uh, great uh, rapport and, and talking about these and, and many other topics that you could have unwrapped though. And so hopefully you'd be willing to come back and talk to us again in the future. I would love to, thank you. Fantastic. And so uh, again, a special thank you to Dr. Stewart, Blue Cross Blue Shield for taking some time to talk with us today. Sam, another great conversation. Um, anything that sticks out with you or that will continue on with you uh, as we head into the days and months ahead? So I think first is I've worked with Dr. Stewart for a few years um, in my role. I've always been so impressed by her. I had no clue that she was also a JD and had a master's in public health and is an MD. And it's just, it's so impressive. And then on top of all of that, I, I just, I love the recognition of what it takes to be successful in this space in STEM, in, um, you know, sort of administrative medicine, but really in my mind, I break it down as just as a human of building those relationships, having trust, um, and 
you know, sort of treating people as individuals and, and trying to build them up and trying to mentor them. I think that is what leads you to be the most successful in whatever you sort of set your goals to be. And I love that we hear that coming from somebody who's so accomplished, who's so, um, you know, successful. It's just reminding us it's really about the basics. I agree. I agree. If uh, you like what you've heard, we encourage you to visit the I'm Hip website at imhip.net to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one. And we encourage you to also like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. If you're interested in becoming a trusted partner like Blue Cross Blue Shield, I encourage you to reach out to I'm Hip's Chief Operating Officer, Elena Kennedy, or visit the website at imhip.net. On behalf of Sam and the wonderful team at I'm Hip, I'm DeRondal Beverly on behalf of the Gemini Group. We appreciate you listening to another episode of Sam Says. Please stay safe and we'll talk to you soon.